Well, it is great to be together, and I'm glad that you're with me this morning. Uh, last week, we spent the Sunday looking back on the year that was, on uh, 2022, uh, to remind ourselves that God had been faithful, that God was at work, and that uh, even if we couldn't see it in our own lives, or I suspect we all had seasons or times in our life where it was hard to see if God was at work, we could remind one another that, yes, in fact, he was. That he's still good, he's still at work, and we can still count on his promises. That We kind of pulled that passage from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, where uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 22, the end says, the one who promises faithful, saying, God's good for it. If he promised it, he's good for it. Might not look exactly like we anticipate it looking, but God is good for keeping his promises. Now this week, we want to look forward to 2023 as we kind of start into the year. We've got our Bible reading plans. We're ready to flip the calendar. The kids are going back to school tomorrow. We're all really excited about that, right? No. I got one no on the back from a kid. The parents are all excited about that. So I want to spend this Sunday kind of looking forward and reminding us of kind of who we are as a church and what we're up to and how we sort of envision God working in and through this part of his global body. Now, our mission statement we have said and been saying for a while is that Trinity Bible Church exists to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Trinity Bible Church exists to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And within that statement, there are really two key phrases. There's probably more, but there's two especially that we want to look at this morning. The first is transformed, and the second is fully devoted follower. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time on those things today because it's, it's all well and good if we agree, okay, transformed, fully devoted followers, great. But as you know, language can have a scope of meanings. So we all may understand what that looks like in different ways. They may all be right, but we may be kind of headed like this. And instead, we want to try to get everybody on the same path, pull in the same direction, and headed the same way. So the first is transformed. When you hear the word transformed, what comes to mind? Butterflies. That's the answer, so. <clears throat> thank, you. thank you for that. <clears throat> when <laughs> we actually spent a lot of time around our, our elders' table coming and, and really honing in on this word, it's remarkable uh, how much time wordsmithing can take, but when it's important, it's worth it. And so the reason we included this word transformed and that we want to see people transformed as opposed to like, uh, we exist to see people become fully devoted followers or people to, uh, I don't know, turn into fully. Transformed is a, is a specific word we chose because it's used by Paul in Romans chapter 12. And the book of Romans is kind of Paul's like theological, theological treatise of the gospel. And he spends 11 chapters describing uh, creation and the fall of man and sin and death and what Jesus came to do and our, our renewal in the gospel and how we are made whole by the gospel. And then he comes to 12 and he starts with my favorite word in the Bible, you know it as therefore. He says, here's what happens. Because of everything Jesus did, give your life to him. Offer your life to him as a living sacrifice, one that maybe keeps crawling off the altar, but get that sacrifice back on the altar and he's worth it. He's good for it. His promises are good. 
And then in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this age. Uh, Another uh, translation or paraphrase might say, uh, don't fit in so well with the world like that you just don't look any different. Or don't just go along with what the world is doing that you just fit in kind of thing. Paul says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And that word in the Greek, we're going to go to the language a little bit here. Uh, In the Greek, the word is metanoia, which sounds a lot like metamorphosis, which makes us all think of butterflies. So when you read uh, transformed into fully devoted followers, or when you read Romans and Paul says, be transformed, think butterfly. Okay? What happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, there's no going back. It's a massive change. It's something completely new with new characteristics. New, you fly here, you step on, you're on the ground getting stepped on here, right? Total, complete change. That's what Paul, Paul is saying happens here. The, the, the phrase is, of course, as you see it, uh, be transformed. So it's a verb. And it's a verb that's in the present tense, which actually can be better translated, but it's clunkier to say, be being transformed. It's a constant process. It's a continual renewal. Keep being transformed. Keep being transformed. Keep being transformed. Keep being transformed. And it's not something that we do ourselves either. The caterpillar doesn't eat enough and then go to work painting, pulling wings out of its back, whatever, right? Something else, nature acts on that caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. The analogy breaks down a little bit, but the Lord works in our lives to transform us. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work transforming us. So what do we want to see? We want to see people transformed. We want to see people move from dark to light. There's a passage that we read for Christmas. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and that light is here. We had three baptisms this last year, and I would have to go back to re-listen to them again, uh, but I'm pretty sure two of them both basically said, I was transformed from dark to light. I felt like I was in darkness. Jesus brought me into the light. And I hope I'm not misrepresenting you guys, but... I seem to recall hearing that. We want to see people transform from having a heart of stone, a heart that is cold and hard and dead and lifeless, to having a heart of flesh, one where there's there's warmth and love and feeling and passion and growth and and life, right? We want to see people transform from spiritual death to spiritual life. We want to see people who are not in relationship with God be transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we get this mission from Jesus himself. Sometimes when we have mission statements and disciple statements, we start too late. And I will admit and confess that I've done that. I think, okay, Trinity exists to see people um, transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Here are the people. How do we transform them to look more like Jesus? That's like half, because we got to get people to know Jesus first, right? Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, who needs a doctor? Is it the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, people who don't yet know God. I'm giving them an invitation to a changed life, a life that is changed inside and out. 
In Matthew 18, he says, your father in heaven doesn't want to lose even one. And in Luke 19, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. So we long to see people transform from not having a relationship with God to being a fully devoted follower or a disciple of Jesus. So what does it mean to be a disciple or a fully devoted follower? Again, when we were working the language of the statement, we were saying, well, disciple is not a word that's really used anymore. So let's say fully devoted follower. We, we can understand that it means the same thing. But again, language, right? Fully devoted follower can be like this. So we're going to try and hone that in a little bit. What is a disciple? Again, if you go back to the original languages in the Greek, the, work that, the word that turns into disciple is mathetes. It's the word we get math from. Everybody loves math. And when you have to study math, you learn, right? So it means a learner. But if you go back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew, the word means the similar thing. The word is uh, talmudim. And the word means to learn as well. But it's more of like kind of a verb, which to learn, I guess, is a verb. But it was used when a young man would leave his family and go follow a rabbi and start studying under that rabbi in order to become like that rabbi so that potentially they could be a rabbi. Okay? So it's not just studying math so I can do my basic facts. It's about a transformation. So a disciple is at his or her core a learner, yes, but so much more than that. Again, we can look for a number of examples in the Bible. One in the Old Testament is that of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was, was maybe one of the most important uh, Old Testament prophets. You don't want to give anybody that badge, really, but here's why I'm suggesting that. When Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was visited by two Old Testament people. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. Maybe he's the most important guy, right? And he did amazing things. He called out godlessness. He went up against the prophets of other nations. He, maybe you remember on Mount Carmel, they had this big battle where they, uh, he uh, you know, challenged to whose God is going to actually accept the sacrifice. And of course, he won. Uh, it wasn't all roses for him. Not long after that, uh, the queen wanted his life. So he ran off, hid in a cave and said, God, take my life. I'm done with all this. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. So we're not finished yet. But as his ministry was kind of, you know, at its peak and maybe starting to wind down, God told him to go and find Elisha. And at that point, Elisha was working the field. He had his oxen there. He was plowing the, the back section. And God said, go, go to this guy. Put your prophet's cloak on him. Cast the mantle. Call him into ministry, much like Jesus would do with his disciples. Say, follow me. And this kid's going to follow you around. He's going to learn what you do. He's going to learn how you hear from me. He's going to learn how you speak for me. He's going to be your disciple. And so when the call went, we read that uh, Elisha sacrifices animals. They had some barbecue and then followed Elijah. But Elisha left his family, left his friends, and set out with his master. That's the picture we're looking for here. And once he was trained, we read that he actually had a double portion of Elijah's strength and power. So what is a disciple? A disciple is more than a learner. A disciple is a follower who is determined to become more like his master or her master and carry on the master's work. Okay? 
A disciple is a follower who is determined to become more like his or her master and carry on the work. Sometimes when we hear the word uh, disciple, we just think Christian or believer, which may not be wrong, but it's more than just that. A disciple is a follower of Jesus determined to become more and more like Jesus and to continue the work of Jesus. Paul kind of describes this uh, to a number of places in the New Testament church. They'll be on the screen, but I'll only read one or two. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, he said, For those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, making them look like him. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we, we may present everyone mature in Christ. The reason that that Paul worked is so that people would follow him, become more like him, as he became more like Jesus, and carry on with the work. I'm going to go back to Galatians 4, because that one's important, where he says, my children, this is, again, his church that he planted and he cares for and he loves, and he says, you guys, I am suffering in labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. It's what it means to be a disciple, to be formed into the image of Jesus. So a disciple is a follower who is determined to become more like his master and carry on the work. Great. What does this look like? Let me introduce to you the 3D definition of a disciple. Uh, It's not original to me, but I've found it really helpful. And as I've been kind of off working with some AGC guys, this is kind of what they've handed us to, to say, Wrap your mind around this. Okay, great. Um, So the 3D definition. If you were to go to, just before we get there, go to a movie and you have two options. You've got regular movie and you've got 3D movie. What's the difference? You've got to wear those fun glasses, right? Which makes what? It all jumps off the screen, right? It's like, it's more alive. You're ducking, you're weaving because the airplanes are flying past your head, all the things. So author Craig Etheridge suggests this. He says, when you think 3D, you think of something three-dimensional, fully orbed and lifelike. And that's where I want you to kind of camp on, fully orbed, lifelike. In the same way, a true disciple has three dimensions that make him or her mature, fully orbed, and Christ-like. Okay, so this is the 3D definition of discipleship. The first D is devoted, devoted. The start of every single person's discipleship journey starts here. It starts with turning from our sin and turning towards Jesus. Now, is there does is the Lord at work to get us to that point? 100%. But discipleship starts when you turn and start to follow the Master, to learn from Him and become more like Him, right? So there is no disciple apart from conversion. Now, when Jesus started going around and preaching and making disciples, He had a really simple two-point sermon. One, I'm not even going to use my notes. I'm going to preach it to you. Ready? I'm going to look at the back, though. Repent and believe. Turn and follow me. So being devoted is recognizing that every single one of us, every one of us, and every single person on the planet has fallen short of God's design for them. Every one of us is separated from God and hopeless and helpless without him. But Jesus is God's only son. He came, he walked this earth, he lived a perfect, sinless life, yet died a criminal's death on the cross. And on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God for us and he paid the penalty for our sin. And then he died and was buried. 
And three days later, he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death itself once for all. And if we repent and believe, if we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, then he promises to forgive us and restore our relationship with God. That's step one. Be devoted. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The second characteristic or the second dimension of a disciple is that he or she is is devoted, but then they're also progressively developing. They're developing the character and the competencies of Jesus in their life. It's a constant progress, progressive developing the character and competencies competencies of Jesus in their life. Always developing. Remember, someone who is a disciple is following a master in order to become more like them. So if we're disciples of Jesus, and we're following him, we're devoted, step one, right? Then we want to be constantly developing more like him. The big theological word for this is sanctification. Say it with me, sanctification. And it's the process in which the Spirit of God starts to work in our life and cut some things off and mold some things here and and fix some things there and repair some other stuff there to make us more like Jesus. Sanctification. Jesus actually prayed that this would happen for his disciples. In John chapter 10, right before he went to the cross, before he was arrested, he prayed that, that his disciples, that they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. So sanctify them by your truth. Mold them, shape them to be more like me by your truth. And your word is truth. And there's two main ways we need to develop our character and our competencies, right? So when we think of character, think of Christ-likeness on the inside. Character is Christ-likeness on the inside. Paul talks about this and describes it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others and adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus. So we look at Jesus and we say, How, how, did, how did he treat? Well, how did he, how did he look at things? How did he, how did he act? How did he, how did he love all these things? And we want to grow like that. We also look for Christ-likeness and character to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit inside of us, which is in Galatians chapter 5. Maybe you know it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It took me a long time to be able to remember that list, but here's the trick. It's nine things. The first three are one syllable. The second three are two syllables. Two syllables. I put up two fingers. That's, whoops. The third three are three syllables. That's how you order them. There you go. That's for free. Uh, But we want to see those things growing in us, progressively developing in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The disciple will probably never be perfect in this, on this side of heaven. But we are progressively developing. We're always striving. The Lord is at work making these things happen in our lives as we lean on him. That's the character piece. If, if, if character is Christ-likeness on the inside, competencies are Christ-likeness on the outside. It's kind of our actions. When Jesus called his disciples and said, follow me, this is what they did. They watched everything that he did. They followed him. They were with him all the time, right? And so they would have seen the way Jesus 
understood his Bible, maybe didn't read his own Bible because it wasn't the way we have it today, but they would have heard him quote the Bible again and again and again and again. Jesus knew his Bible, and so those who followed him knew, man, we got to make sure we know our Bibles. As they followed Jesus and learned from what he did, learned his the competencies, if we're going we're gonna to use that word, they saw how he prayed daily. Big prayers, little prayers. When there was something important, he fasted and prayed for a date. When he was going to choose the 12 disciples from kind of the larger group and narrow it down to the 12, we read that he spent the whole night on the mountain praying. And we're like, Jesus, where were you? Like, well, I was doing this some important stuff. It takes some prayer. And, oh, man, maybe we should learn to do that. As they walked with Jesus, they, they would have learned how to communicate his message, the gospel. They would have seen how he cared for people, how he, he, he touched the untouchable, he loved the unlovable, and he, he loved everyone and cared for everyone. And they would say, man, we got, we got to grow in that. I'm not very good at that. And they would have seen how Jesus invested his life in people. Yes, he taught the big crowds, but then there was, there was a smaller group that he invested more time in, the 72. And then there was a group of 12 they spent even more time in. And then there was a group of three, just Peter, James, and John, that he really poured his life into. Right? They, would, they would have seen that modeled by him, and they would have learned that, and so they would have developed those similar competencies themselves. So a disciple is devoted, is developing, and finally is deployed. Is deployed. Disciples are engaged in the ministry of Jesus. They follow the master, not to just watch someone else do the work, but so that they can learn and then they can do the work. They're engaged in the ministry of Jesus. They're reaching the lost. They're investing in a few. It's an action word. To be deployed is an action word. It means we're leaving the safety of our home when we're going out for battle. We're stepping into enemy territory and understanding that there is, there is a battle and we're a part of it. See, a, a true disciple isn't just someone who, who believes intellectually about Jesus, reads their Bible sometimes, and goes to church when it's convenient. A true disciple is actively participating in the ministry of God, reaching people for Christ, and walking with them towards maturity. Um, Etheridge gives this example. Uh, One day Jesus was traveling from village to village, teaching and ministering to the crowds. He was overcome with compassion and he saw that the crowds were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's in Matthew chapter 9. We can read that. He says, well, the word harassed is skulo, and it means mangled, torn apart, cut to the bone. When I re- read harassed in English, I don't think that. But that's what it means. Mangled, torn apart, cut to the bone. The word helpless is ripto, and it means thrown to the ground. When Jesus looked and he saw that these people were harassed and helpless like sheep with a shepherd, he saw them the way his father saw them, victims of the enemy. And they were hurt and betrayed and abused and torn apart and beat down and discarded and walked on. And he saw that they had no one to look after them and no one to care for them. Now I know we are privileged to live where we do and we can look out the windows and see some of the most beautiful scenes on the planet. But there are people all around us who are hurt, betrayed, abused, torn apart, beat down, discarded, and walked on. There's people who are struggling to get by. 
There's people who are in or running from broken or abusive relationships. There are people who are longing to find community and meaning and value and purpose, who are trying to find something to give their life uh, meaning or purpose and chasing after anything they can, everything they can in the world in order to find true life. And Jesus' heart broke for the harassed and helpless, and it still does. And our heart should too. Jesus actually told us the solution also in Matthew chapter 9. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is abundant, the harvest is plentiful. People are ready to hear truth. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into his harvest. Now a deployed disciple prays that prayer. Lord, send more workers into the harvest. Lord, send more but a deployed disciple also steps into that prayer. Okay, Jesus, I am terrified. Where are we going? I don't know if um, if you've been watching The Chosen. We've been kind of tracking with The Chosen a little bit. Uh, some people uh, have varying um, opinions of whether or not we should be watching The Chosen. I appreciate a lot of things of it. And then the last episode we watched, there was a scene where Jesus was about to send his disciples out two by two to preach for the first time by themselves, right? And it's like, I, it was a fantastic scene because Jesus is like, you've seen what I've done. Now it's your turn to go. And every face at the table was like, what? what? Us? He's like, yeah, you're going to go heal. You're going to go cast out demons. You're gonna, everything you've seen me do, you're going to go do. And like, are we ready? Man, that's, my, that's like a famous question, right? <laughs> Jesus, I know you're calling me to do this, but am I ready? He's like, just go. We may not feel like we're ready, but we are called to go, and so we go. We look for opportunities to go into our world. We don't even have to go that far, to step out our front door, to step out the church door, and see people, uh, see where people are harassed and helpless, and bring and offer them the hope and good news of the gospel. So a true disciple is person that is devoted to Jesus, is developing in character and competencies, and is deployed into the ministry of Jesus by reaching the lost and also investing in the few. Now, just like in the first service, I can hear you thinking, that's a really high bar. And I'm here to say, yes, it is. But that's the target. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we as a church are striving to help people be transformed into. Will we get this right every single day? No, we will not. Will I get this right as I try to lead myself into this and lead us into this as a church, as your pastor? Will I get it right every single day? No, I will not. So prepare to be disappointed. However, we're looking for progress. We're looking for the next step. We're looking for growth, progressively developing, right? A Trinity Bible Church, we exist to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I promise to tell you what we're looking forward to in this year. Here it comes. And this list uh, that I'm about to give, it's going to be fluid. Just because I say we're doing something today doesn't mean we're going to do it for all time. Sometimes things work, sometimes things don't work. And so we've got to cut off the things that don't work and try new things that might work, Okay. We're always trying to evaluate the things we do too to make sure that they are laser focused at helping us do exactly what we said we want to do, see people transform into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And if a tool or something isn't working, let's get rid of it and let's try something else. And we're also not going to step in to try to duplicate anything that another church in the valley might already be doing. So I will 
Maybe you'll be disappointed to find out. Starting a second Food and Friends isn't on the calendar this year. Starting a thrift store is not on the calendar for this year. Because right now there's someone else doing it and doing it better than we could or want to. So now all these, I'm going to try to divide these things into those three categories as well of devoted, developing, and deployed. Bear with me, some of them fit in multiple places. It's going to be okay. So to help people become devoted to Jesus, to bring them from darkness to light, to introduce them and have them, give them the opportunity to hear that simple sermon of repent and believe, we are planning, again, to do that summer sports camp. Looking forward to it, July 31 to August 4th. Uh, we will continue to have Sunday services. And here is, as well, where I need your help. Every Sunday, whoever's up here bringing a message, the goal is to speak not just to believers, but also to those who don't yet know Jesus. And so if there's a stretch of, it doesn't even have to be a stretch, if there's a Sunday where you feel like, man, Sean, I would not have brought my non not yet believing friend to hear you say that this morning because it wasn't for them. It was for these who believe. Tell me, okay? Because every week, it tries to be an invitation to the gospel as well as a building up of the saints. So help me with that. Uh, we are planning to continue with some of the, the seminars or weekend things we've done. Last year we did uh, the marriage seminar. We're hoping to find a space to build into marriages again this year. And we had planned to do a parenting seminar. We're working with Brett to try to get him back out this coming year. I do actually have copies of his book that he speaks from and, and on in my office if you're interested in having a look at that. Uh, we are hoping and planning, and it's in the uh, draft of the budget, to run an alpha this year, which is a who are we, what do we believe, and how do we get to know Jesus. A good time on the calendar for that might be after Easter, talk about the risen Savior. Now let's talk about what it means to follow him. So if that's something that you might be passionate about or interested in, um, talk to me. We're going to continue with invitable events. Invitable events. Lots of these things are uh, can, can even be sort of unofficial. Things like midweek hikes and bike rides and skis. They're informal. They're not like, you don't have to ask me for permission to go on a ski during the week and talk to people about Jesus. But there are groups of us that do these things regularly, and there are great touch points, great connection points for people to meet Christians. I can tell you, uh, the Monday, Monday evenings when uh, there's a group of us that either bike in the summer and ski in the winter, it's a lot easier for me to invite a neighbor to a bike ride, and they're a lot more likely to say yes than maybe to a Sunday service, unless it's like, there's food after or something, right? Like there's, there's something, there's something about just going out and being there. But this neighbor who's never been to church, who's never heard the truth of the gospel is probably a lot more likely to come out and chase us. No, I'll chase them because I'm slow, but to chase around the, the trails up there or up here or chase us around on skis and just get to know some Christians and see, man, these guys aren't that crazy, right? It's, it's touch points. It's connection points. Christmas Eve, we had, I thought we had a, a great turnout for Christmas Eve this past year, and, and we got to tell people about Jesus, and we're going to evaluate that. Did it work? Were people hearing about Jesus? How do we make it better? Seems like it did. Seems like we can make it better. Let's aim for it again this year. The ladies' Christmas gathering, I know, I wasn't there, but I know from the speaker that people heard about Jesus and were challenged to take a next step in their walk towards Jesus. And that's great. And so that's a good thing. But we want to evaluate that event, not but. So we will evaluate that event and say, how can we um, 
make it better for next year because we always want to improve, right? How can we have more people hear about Jesus? How can we uh, grow that for the next year? So if that's something you're interested in and passionate about, I'd love to hear from you about that. We're going to keep planning to do church in the park because again, and I think I misspoke last week. Last week I said, when we were talking about attendance numbers as something to be thankful for God for, I said that we peaked on Easter Sunday here in the building at 144. I think I misspoke because I think our church in the park in August was like 160, 160 something. So again, for someone who's not a follower of Jesus, who isn't too sure about church or Christians, what's easier to do? Show up at Millennium Park, endure some music and someone talking, and then spend spend some time eating a meal, play some volleyball, throw a frisbee, and just hang out. Right? It's an invitable. It's a touch point event. It's a connection making event. It starts to, to to kind of knock down some of those walls. To help people, so that's the that's the uh, devoted section. The way we're going to try to continue to increase uh, people's knowledge and introduce them to Jesus. To help people develop the character and competencies of Jesus, we're going to continue to do Bible studies. The men's Bible studies Thursday night, the women's is Wednesday night. I invite you to, to check those out, be a part of it. Uh, we'll probably, hopefully, grow that to have some, some more options as well. Uh, to develop character and competencies, I've presented you with a few reading plans. Uh, grab one of those. Grab some friends and do it. Uh, my fav- uh, my most used Bible app on my devices is the Version Bible app. Um, I, it's just handy. It's, it's everywhere. It's readable. All the translations are there. There's a bazillion other reading plans, which if you've got analysis paralysis like myself, you've got a list of like a hundred that are in your save to-do list, but you're never going to get through all of them. So pray for me. But even within version now, there's a section where you can go into the menu and choose a church and you can actually track along with Trinity. We are on the Version Bible app. And so within that, We'll continue to highlight some reading plans as we get into some sermon series. We'll say, hey, read this this week, that sort of thing. So uh, if you're using that, I'll invite you to find Trinity and join us there. Uh, the next thing to develop character and competencies, this could also be under the devoted section as well. But we're looking to uh, launch a freedom session. Now, if you've never heard of freedom session, uh, from their promotional material, They say Freedom Session is a powerful journey inviting you to rewrite your story with a God-inspired ending. It's kind of a, um, it's not just like a a 12-step program with Christian language, uh, but the founder found that lacking and developed this, this healing through discipleship kind of course. There's a group of us that did a pilot of it, uh, six weeks of it in in the fall, and uh, it was amazing. Um, In the first couple of weeks, we kind of went, one of the questions was, so why are you here? And uh, Sam and I were kind of heading it up. And the answers were, Sam told me to, Sean told me to, Sean told me to, Sam told me to. That's why we're here. But by week two or three, they're like, man, this, like, this has been fantastic. Um, for me, uh, as we walked through some of that pilot material, and I think it was week one, uh, it's taught by a guy named Ken Dick. He's in uh, Vancouver area. And one of the first things he said was, freedom session exists to obliterate shame from your life. I was in. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot of hidden guilt and shame, but I, I do. Like, if, if you can walk me through some of this stuff to help me deal with past hurts, to know Jesus loves me even more, I'm in. And so we're looking to, to launch that on a broader scale this year as well. Uh, stay tuned closely for that. 
Another way that we are helping people develop character and competencies of Jesus, we've got a subscription as a church to Right Now Media. If you've never heard of Right Now Media, it is a, an online Netflix-type streaming service. There are tens of thousands of videos, hundreds of thousands of hours of content on it, Bible studies, teachings, uh, on whatever you want. Um, so you can uh, sign up for free there. If you go to trinitycanmore.com slash rightnowmedia, there's a button that says, let me let me sign up. Um, in our weekly newsletter that I sent out, hopefully you noticed uh, if you got it this week, if you opened it this week, uh, there's a little section there where I highlighted one that either I'm interested in walking through myself or looking forward to it. Uh, right now, media, tons of great content there. Again, to develop characters and competencies, hopefully Sunday services do that as well. And uh, the last thing I have on this list as kind of a, a resource that we, we need um, to help people develop characters and competencies of Jesus, we are still longer than anybody ever dreamed in the midst of our building campaign. Now we are putting this here because we do need a space to gather, we need a space to host things, we need a space to invite people to, uh, and so continue to, to pray for that. So that's devoted, deploy, Third, no, sorry, devoted, developing. Third is deploy. Now, I suspect this may be the one you don't want me to tell you what we're doing for, because I'm going to be calling you to something. And as I prayed and processed and, and wrote and even look at my notes right now, I, I know that there are many of you in the room that are ready to be deployed. Maybe, maybe you're not yet, like you're not out there yet, but you're ready. You've been in a Bible study for long enough, been a part of the care group for long enough, you've attended enough Sunday services, you know how to play an instrument, you know how to work a computer, you know how to brew a pot of coffee, you know how to talk to people about Jesus, you know how to tell people your story about Jesus, you are ready to use the gifts and abilities you've been given by God and for some, it's time to just get up off the bench and get out in the game. Everything I listed, it sounds like a lot. All those things need champions. And I don't think we're doing more than we can handle. I'll say that too. I don't, I don't think we've overstretched our capacity by having what we've got there. There are plenty of people in, a, in the room and online. I still see you there. You admitted when you signed in, I got you to do what we want to do. It's time to step out of that comfort zone. And let me, let me say this. When you step out of the comfort zone, when you get off the bench, get into the game, when you are deployed, nobody expects you to do it perfectly the first time, or the second time, or even the third or fourth time. It's progressively developing, right? So, where do we go from here? For some, maybe you just need to take that first step to be devoted, to start following Jesus. Maybe you've been around church for a while, but when I described earlier what it, what it means to, to follow Jesus, to, to give your life to him, you've been like, I, you know, I don't know if I've actually done that. Maybe it's, maybe it's time. Pray, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be devoted to you. Here's my life. Help me to be growing and then deploy me for your service. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe, maybe you've made that, that commitment quietly in your chair, and like, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. 
I'm not going to say it too loud. I'm not going to raise my hand if anyone asks. But maybe it's time to make a public declaration that you want to devote your life to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. A little scared of that with the ice on the lakes, but we'll find a way. That's no problem. Maybe, maybe it's membership. And I know that there are many people start to cringe when they hear the word church membership. But maybe it's membership in this local church. There's a lot to be said here, and there'll be more to come, but let me just quickly say this about church membership. First, it's biblical. There are lots of places in the New Testament that describe that the disciples knew who was a part of their church. When that that Acts 2 sermon that we we love to read, it's, man, Peter preached and 3,000 people came to the Lord. How do you think they knew there were 3,000 people if they didn't count them? Okay? It's biblical. The New Testament describes um, them. they, They knew there were widows that weren't being fed. They, they had an election to replace Judas, right? Biblical. There's church discipline, there's accountability, and there's an awareness in the New Testament of who is a part of the church. Membership is biblical. Uh, there are cultural reasons for church membership. Our world today, and I think the Bow Valley is even worse than we've experienced in other places, nobody wants to commit to anything. Because if I do... I might miss out on something else. We see it in how we plan our calendars, but we also see it in how we engage in relationships and how we sign up for teams or don't sign up for teams or all the things, right? I don't want to commit to one person because what if someone better comes in, right? But as a, as a church, we want to call you to commit to something outside of yourself, to membership of a church. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline, and I think it builds character to be committed to one place. And it really goes against the prevailing attitude of church shopping, where I just go, you know what, you know what? I didn't really like the music here this week, so I'm going to go somewhere else next week. And oh, that preacher, uh, his head glowed when I watched him on screen, so uh, I'm going to find another live stream for next week, or whatever else. So it's, I'm having my needs met. Let me tell you, and be careful when I say this, but not that careful. We don't exist for your preferences to be met. Okay, that wasn't in the mission statement. So if you become a member of a church, you come in and say, I believe in the mission statement. I believe in the statement of faith. I believe where they're going. I may not, you know, I'll plug my ears when we play that song and I'll unplug them when the, when the whatever else comes on. But I'm in and I'm going. And instead of thinking, how am I going to be fed and how am I going to be met here? I'm going to give my life to this church to, to see the kingdom come through this people and through this community. It's not about me. Church membership is not about me. It's about us. Okay, so it's, what were those? Biblical, cultural, it's practical. Every team you've ever seen or been a part of has a roster. Every classroom has a class list. Every company has a staff list, right? There's just the practicality of knowing who's here, who's a part of it. And frankly, as a pastor, I'm called to serve the members, right? If, if people are, are floating in and out, I need, I need to know who I'm, who I'm called to lead. And we as elders need to know who we're called to shepherd. So there's some practicalities in that. Membership defines who can be counted on as well. When we start to think, okay, we, at the elders' table, we think, well, we think we should do this this year and think God's helping us to do this. Man, do we have enough people to do all that? Well, our membership list says we should. Away we go. There are a number of things, again, practically, because we live in an era with tax law, there are a number of things that you have to be a member of to vote on. Things like 
buying and selling property, which hopefully will be coming up really quick. Finally, making final votes on that kind of thing. And there are a number of positions in within the church as well that, and we're kind of tuning up and ramping up in this process where we want you to be a member to be that position. You cannot be an elder if you're not a member. You can't be a deacon if you're not a member. Uh, we're trying to get to the point of without membership, we don't want you teaching, right? Um, because part of membership is committing to the statement of faith and, and believing the things that we believe in and the priorities we believe in. And so we need, we need to know that. So it's another layer of trust. Finally, it's personal because when you're a part of a church, you can look at that membership role and you can say, these people will help me. When, when hard times hit, I know I can count on this church body. When, when, when I need someone to pray for me, when I need someone to cook me a meal, when, I need, when I'm not sure God exists anymore, I can count on the people on this list to, on this list to, to lift me up. Now, there are many of you around the room that, I'm look, that I have looked at, I won't say I'm looking at, so I'm not pointing anyone out, who are already embodying much of this, most of this. But it's time to take that formal step. And some of that is on, on me and us as leaders to not, be, to not have got you there yet, but um, we do need you to go through the process. So talk to me or Mike or Gary as well. I'm happy to get you there. Some of us need to be deployed need to find a spot to start serving. And there are lots, as you've heard, there are lots of different opportunities. Start with shadowing. Start with once a month. And then step out and ask the Lord, where do you want me to serve? Here? Out there? During the week? And ultimately, we all need to be regularly praying, again, to ask the Lord where we're at, where we need to work, and what He wants to do in us and through us as we become people who are devoted, developing, and deployed. Let me pray, and then we'll move to the communion table. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had together to worship. Thank you for the texts that we looked at. I pray for each one of us that this year we would be being transformed to look more like you. That you'd renew our minds to think um, biblically about the way we do life and not conform to the world. I pray that you would help us to be devoted, to follow you, to give our lives to you, to repent and believe, to turn to you, to confess our sins and, and accept your forgiveness. I pray that you would help us to be developing, that every single one of us could look back daily or weekly or monthly and say, man, Jesus, you have been working on me and I'm growing here. You're growing my character. You're growing my competencies. I pray that you would help us to call that out in one another too. Man, I see you're growing here. You're, you're, getting, really, you're getting really good at this as you practice and serve. And Jesus, I pray that you would deploy your church. We'd recognize that, that we're in the midst of a battle. And the battle rages and it, sometimes it looks like the enemy's winning. But you promised, Jesus, that your kingdom will come and your kingdom will win. To help us to go and, and, and do the spiritual battle to pray for people, to speak to people, to talk to people about you so we might see your amazing work take place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.